the cannabis industry is evolving at a radical pace, progressing toward the green peak. Each week, join Richard Zwicky, a cannabis visionary and entrepreneur, as he interviews experts from around the globe to discuss updates and evolutions in the world of cannabis. Let's make that climb together up the, the green, green peak. peak with your host, Richard Zwicky. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Zwicky. And joining us today on The Green Peak, we have Eric Alstater, who is the lead for the cannabis and hemp services within uh, Eisner Amper's uh, manufacturing distribution practice. Welcome aboard, Eric. Thanks for having me, Richard. So, Eric, you've been dealing with the, um, the legislative and the regulatory aspects of the legalization that's been happening across the U.S., uh, but you're New York-based, and obviously it's getting close to home which is a uh, huge market that is nicely opening up. How are you finding it? Uh, how are you finding the response in New York and what are you looking forward to as far as uh, changes coming shortly that are gonna impact the market there? Well, it's interesting. Our firm is, is a firm, we have about 2,100 professionals in our firm right now. We have offices in about 16 states in the, in the country, number of international locations. We're part of international affiliation as well. So we really focus on all aspects of, of the country and, and we work with clients all around the world. As far as the cannabis space in, in my practice, uh, I am located in New York, as you said. There were a number of states that have moved forward to legalize adult use recreational cannabis, New York being one, the more recent ones that followed on the heels of New Jersey. And New Jersey was the first of the mid-Atlantic states, but since then, uh, Vermont and New Mexico have moved forward with adult recreational, I believe the numbers somewhere in the neighborhood of 17 states now that have legalized adult use recreational. And there are going to be other states going forward. And I think what's happened is that the federal government has kind of, in the past, there's a whole history behind the, the federal legalization of cannabis. And it incorporates the Jeff Sessions memo from years ago and the federal government saying that you know we're not going to go after people that are doing legal activities or activities that are legal by their state. They're not going to go after them. So I think the federal government has kind of taken an approach that, well, let's let the states chart their own course and, and continue along this route where we're going on and let the states slowly but surely legalize based on their own rules, requirements, and preferences. Yeah, no, and you know, that's that's a, uh, definitely a point. I mean, the effect of that uh, happening over time, of course, is you end up with a very fragmented market with a lack of federal guidance as far as the final regulatory framework. And internationally, where I do most of, you know, I uh, I do a lot of consulting internationally for firms that are looking to expand, enter the market, understand compliance and all of the issues. It's horrible navigating from one market to the next because the the variances are so large. Of course, state by state, it even gets worse when there's no federal uh, definition or not enough federal definition. What do you see coming up for that? Because obviously that's going to impact the market, not just in the U.S., but internationally, but in so many different ways. Well, I, I think I see the U.S. continuing along the course it's on now. That's, that's my own view, mind you. Um, I, I think that the current, the current administration, the current federal government, there are enough other issues on its table right now that I think require real or more attention in cannabis, whether it's working properly or working well or not, I think it's working. So I think the federal government is going to kind of push it away or, or let it continue on the course it's on. 
I th there are two big pieces of legislation that are being contemplated. One is the MORE Act. Uh, MORE Act effectively will, will deschedulize cannabis and effectively legalize uh, cannabis, mm -hmm. schedulize it from Schedule 1. And the Safe Banking Act, the Safe Banking Act will remove some of the restrictions that have been placed on the banks and kind of open up the banking environment for, for the industry. And I think the Safe Banking Act has a good potential for passing soon sooner rather than later. I don't see the MORE Act happening so quickly, as I said, for the reasons I mentioned earlier. And um, e even though we have a Democratic president, a split Senate, but the, 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 the deciding vote is held by Vice President Harris, who's a Democrat and a Democratic House, I still think it's going to take a lot to get the MORE Act passed to deschedulize cannabis. Well, considering how long it's taken for the Safe Banking Act to really come into effect, it's nothing's overnight. No, not, nothing's overnight. But I, but I do say in this industry, things do change somewhat quickly. Mm -hmm. And and you know when, when New Jersey passed its legislation, even though New York had kicked it around for the past couple of years, and, and Cuomo had introduced it a number of years ago, it took New Jersey to really move forward with it. And I think I think the New York government looked at it and said, "Do we want our residents?" crossing the border to New Jersey, buying cannabis and paying tax on cannabis in New Jersey. No, we want to have that tax revenue in New York. So New York moved rather quickly to uh, legalize. And I do think Connecticut is going to be not far behind. You mentioned some of the states before Connecticut, mm -hmm. probably Florida. Uh, there are other states, Pennsylvania, also to, to legalize adult use recreational cannabis. So I think, I think while the mid-Atlantic states were some of the later states to go forward, I think it's going to be a kind of a tidal wave now. Oh, absolutely. But so, you know, one of the other aspects, and I, you know, as I'm sure your firm deals with it a lot, is you've got the state by state variants, which the, the systems in some ways you look at them and are they there to prevent, you know, companies from becoming conglomerates in the space, dominating the industry nationally, as opposed to, you know, and each in the state patchwork ends up where, you know, there are states like Florida or Arizona where you have to do everything from cultivating through to the retail, whereas others, you can be a cultivator or you can be a retailer. Right. How do you see that going over the next while? Because obviously, as businesses continue to develop and grow, you're hitting artificial barriers. Well, some of the states like New York and New Jersey, those are the two that I'm most familiar with right now, have put in place or, or, or are putting in place in their licensing uh legislation that for a period of time, or like I think it's one or two years, that these companies are limited in how many licenses they can have. For example, if you're a grower, you can't be a distributor. If you're a grower, you can't be a dispensary. So they are limiting that and they are trying to allow for a social equity aspect to the issuance of license. I know New Jersey had, I think it requires 30% of its licenses to be given to minorities women or disabled veterans, and they have created something called uh, 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 impact zones. Uh, impact zones are going to be certified by the Cannabis Regulatory Commission, and they're going to give priority to cannabis companies that have people that have lived in these impact zones for a number of years, and they'll get, be given priority. And the, the, the impact zones are really those zones that have been impacted by unemployment, poverty, or, or past, past marijuana activity, priorities given to applicants that have significant people who have resided in these impact zones for three or more years. Yeah, no, I mean, those, the, uh, 
Let's not underestimate the social impact of a properly rolled out legislative framework, not just in cannabis, but everything else. And unfortunately, you know, we're, we don't pay enough attention to that on a regular basis, but it's massive in terms of, uh, it should be a, a very thoughtful part of every process that we work through. Um, we do have to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to actually follow up with what you were just saying and look at it in terms of, you know, some recent comments out of Washington that uh, play up how it'll play out going forward. We'll be back uh, after the break with Eric Alstotter, and I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Elevate your every day with that Shuggies feeling, with the sweet taste of Shuggies. Add a cup of Shuggies to your morning coffee. Ah, how sweet it is. Shuggies infuses cannabis and cane sugar to make it the perfect sweetener with benefits. Make your happy hour happier with a dunk of Shuggies in your drink. Order your Shuggies now at S-H-O-O-G-I-E-S dot com or find it in dispensaries throughout California. Whenever you crave a little sweet, pick up Shuggies, the sweet, sweet, take anywhere treat. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak with Eric. Eric Altstatter from Eisner Amper. And Eric, before the break, we were just talking about some of the legislative changes and the like coming up. Now, Chuck Schumer um, from, you know, Senator from New York, uh, senior, to pass legislation, regardless of, you know, Biden's, I don't know if it's opinion or opposition or support, but he's going forward. How much influence do you think New York, um, New York support for state and federal legislation makes a hole on the country? I don't know if New York per se has any impact on that. I think New York is a very big marketplace. And I think a lot of the companies in the industry are looking forward to what they feel is one of the larger developing markets in the industry. But I don't think uh, New York politics uh, play a role in determining what the federal government is going to do or not do, to be honest. Uh, At least that's my view. I think what Schumer would like to do, what, what, what he would like to do and what he will do or, or move to do are, are might be two different things. You know, as I said, I think, I think the Safe Banking Act is a real good piece of legislation to move forward because the Safe Banking Act will give these companies uh, uh, access to bank usage of bank services. And, and right now, a lot, of these com- a lot of these cannabis companies do not have the benefit of using Federal, federally insured banks. And, and the reason is because many of these banks, the requirements put in place on these banks by the federal government are so stringent and require so much administrative work that many of these banks say, you know, it's not worth, us, worth it for us to get into the industry. So a lot of the services to the industry are being provided by credit unions and local community banks. And I think opening it up for these larger banks to get into the industry would be, would be very, very big the industry. I think many of these, and and banking has opened up to a degree in the industry now. It is opening up. There are more and more banks getting getting into the industry. But I think getting access to credit cards and and things such as that nature will really have a a major impact on the industry. Well, it will. And it actually goes far beyond the U.S. because the the challenge right now with banking is uh, so much of the foreign exchange work that goes on 
uh, goes through the U.S. dollar, and companies that are looking to trade internationally with, between you know legally registered and uh, open jurisdictions run into problems with banking. I know I've had to resolve that and deal with that for you know my own company previously, but also since uh, I've become independent, I've had a couple of um, clients who've been looking at needing help with regards to structuring, and it's. It's insane in some ways because you're dealing in jurisdictions where the product is perfectly legal, but the banks are petrified because they have to go through the U.S. dollar and don't want to put that at risk for any other businesses. And these are, you know, multi-billion-dollar banking organizations that are stuck. Yeah, no, I, I agree. The cannabis industry—it's such an interesting industry now. You know, you can almost almost like it to to the U.S. with alcohol after prohibition. It's it's. It, it, it's a growing business. It, it's being changed. It's, it's, you're, you're right on target. It, it affects the federal and international. And, and, and one thing about business these days, every business to some degree is, is international. It's not like it used to be. Every company has, whether it have international clients, customers, suppliers, every business has international ramifications. And uh, you, you said it you, right on target also. You said earlier that dealing with different jurisdictions in the U.S. makes it so hard. Each state has its own rules and regulations that need to be followed. Each state has its own licensing requirements that are different. And each country has different rules and regulations and tax rules and regulations as well. And it really is, it really requires a cannabis company to really get its arms around the legal issues in any jurisdiction it plans to operate in. Yeah, and you know the the compliance related issues on that front. It's one thing when you've got state by state regulatory frameworks, but you're not getting into the the you know a national standard or an international standard as far as compliance goes. And unfortunately, governments don't always think through the full ramifications of what they're doing. Um, and I don't you know mean that in a derogatory sense. It just means the the effect after it rolls forward. Uh, only gets to be seen, you know, a few months ago, I was uh, contacted by uh, officials with the government of Israel. And, you know, it was there was a, I'm going back probably nine, 12 months now. Um, and there was a lot of communications and calls that I did with regards to some, some of the government officials who were bringing in some of the changes for uh, medical cannabis into the marketplace. And they were very concerned with making sure the product was safe and secure and everything else. And unfortunately, in their zest or zeal to uh, make it secure, one of the changes they brought in was um, not just that it had to meet an EU GMP standard, which is higher than an FDA food grade uh, requirement, but it had to undergo 400 different pesticide tests. And there aren't standards for 400 different pesticide tests that anybody can run. For the cannabis product today. So you end up with a, a bit of a quagmire because things aren't thought through consistently. The biggest thing I you know look at with the US, and I'm sorry I've been going a bit in monologue is, um, and I don't know how you look at it, is you're going to end up with not just a patchwork, but a lot of conflicting regulatory frameworks from state to state. How do you see that resolving over the next couple of years? Because for the market to really develop fully, you need standardization. You definitely do. You need standardization for the market to really get to be a mature marketplace. And uh, you know, I, I, it's funny. I walk into a to a Seven Eleven in, in New York and I buy a Diet Coke. Mm -hmm. And I walk into a Seven Eleven in California, Los Angeles, I buy a Diet Coke. 
there's comfort that the product I'm getting is the same product. It's been tested, it's been standardized, the product is the same. That's not the case in the industry right now that we're discussing here. And I think you're going to move forward to branding. I think branding is going to become a bigger piece going forward in the industry. I think I think consumers want that level of comfort that when they're buying something, there's consistency in what they're buying. There's consistency in the product. There's comfort that the product has been tested and is safe and is secure. So, so going forward, I, I think that's consistency and, and the state's getting together and the federal government moving together are important aspects. I, I just think in my view, I just don't see the federal government moving forward so quickly. No, I agree. I, I do agree. And it, you know, an overnight change in the government is still two, three years. <laughs> yes, yes. I, I, I do think, you know, some of the state tax laws have changed and there might be further changes. I know California will, I, we haven't really talked about taxes and I, I know I'm an accountant, so I hate to talk about taxes, but there is this thing called 280E, which is the, you know, the 800 pound gorilla in the room when you deal with cannabis companies. That really, that law does not allow cannabis companies to deduct normal costs of doing business. That if you're a company that's selling- Exactly. Yeah, selling paper, you, you can deduct rent, you can tell supplies, you can deduct commissions to employees, you can deduct payroll. Cannabis companies, you can't, unless it's cost of goods sold. So cannabis companies pay a huge tax uh, bite, compar- comparably speaking to other businesses. So I, I you know, got, like California, for example, most states follow their, their the federal government as far as taxable income, but California does allow, in some instances, those expenses to be deducted arriving at California state taxable income. So each state is a little bit different and each state mm-hmm. is setting up its own rules. Uh, those states that are legalizing cannabis, some of them are having uh, tax on the top. Some of them are taxing based on amount of THC in products. Some of them are taxing on municipalities and allowing a 2% municipality tax on top of the state tax. So th- there's a whole uh, diversity of practice in the industry and, and among the various states in the United States right now. There is. There's an incredible amount of diversity. And actually, one of the things we should come to uh, after this next break in terms of that diversity is uh, employee standards and employment standards as they vary across the various states um, regarding the use of cannabis. We'll be back in a moment. I'm Richard Zwicky on The Green Peak with Eric Alstotter. The Green Peak will climb back into your podcast player after we play some messages from our sponsors. Hey, take a look at this. They're selling smart pots. They have pot that can make you smart? Where is it? Not that kind of pot. Smart pots are the best aeration container to grow your plants. Check this out. This is the original fabric container for faster producing, healthier plants. They're made with a superior fabric that delivers high yields. Plus, smart pots are reusable and sustainable, so you can use them over and over again, no matter if you use them indoor or outdoor. That's very smart, but how good are they for the environment? Smart pots are BPA free and lead free, so you'll always be able to ensure a pure, clean grow, and they're 100% made in the U.S. Over 28 million smart pots have already been sold, so it seems like a smart investment. Look for smart pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at smartpots.com. Climbing our way up, up, up to the Cannabis Summit of Success. Cannabis Radio is back with more of the Green Peak. And we're back on the Green Peak. I'm Richard Zwicky with Eric Alstatter with um, Eisner Amper. And um, 
Eric, you know, just before the break, we we're talking about some aspects of the patchwork of regulatory framework. One of the things that came up originally, and you kind of alluded to it, was, you know, from a taxation perspective, employees were being dealt with differently in each market. It used to be in, you know, in Colorado, um, a lot of the dispensaries had large safes full of cash because they couldn't bank it, but they also had to pay their payroll in cash and had nothing but problems because how do you account for that um, from payroll taxes and the like? Obviously, there's going to be some impact with regards to employees in New York and New Jersey um, from a tax perspective and how they're paid, but also how they account from it from an employee tax and a, a payroll tax, but also um, the use of cannabis, not just from a um, testing and hiring perspective, but does it become a deduction if there's a medical requirement? And how is that going to be handled in each state? So there's a few things to unpack yeah. in that question. I think I think each state is going to handle it a little differently these days. I think, but I think I think you're 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 right on target about the the ability to set up banking relationships and accounts because it, it's problematic to have a lot of cash in a, in a store. If if you know if people know you you have that cash in the store, you're putting your business, you're putting your employees at risk every day. Mm-hmm. So you really don't want to have a situation. Where you, you have all that cash and somebody's carrying the bags of cash to the bank once or twice a day, that's an unnecessary risk. You really don't want to put people through. So, uh, and I think employees also want to have the ability to get their money direct deposited into an account and have you have, have be able to utilize their cash that way. So, there, there are things that have to change in this industry, and and there are certain companies that are doing some workarounds. You know, I'm not sure they all work uh, until, again, I hate to go back to the Safe Banking Act, but until that passes and the banks, the federal banks and the larger banks acknowledge or, or get into the industry, I think, I think, um, I think there's still risk. There, there's, there's risk to the employees. There's risk to the business. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a risk that, they're, they're, that other businesses typically don't have, but it's a risk that other cash businesses will have. And in cannabis, the cash business might even be larger because there is no banking. No, there is, there isn't, and not not and federally that's required. And you know, I think obviously until that gets settled, a lot of the other federal uh, regulatory issues can't can't be settled because how, you're opening up the trade in one area without allowing banking. It doesn't right. work. But and, and know, even same- even when it passes, how long do you think it'll take to implement? Just like that, everything else, yeah. it doesn't happen overnight. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. But I think, I think it's been bandied around enough that it, it will, it will take place over. I guess a rel- maybe within a year. I think it'll happen, or a relatively short period of time. And I think that's really the the key item these days. Uh, and I hate to keep saying it, but the Safe Banking Act is so important because that will give additional legitimacy to the industry. The banks will get involved. And you mentioned earlier that, that there are a lot of federal laws that cannabis companies cannot avail themselves of. So we went through a whole whole year of, of coronavirus and COVID, and, and, and you had many companies applying for PPP loans. Well, not cannabis companies. Uh, they weren't allowed to apply for PPP loans. And, and mm-hmm. cannabis companies do not avail them, do not have the ability to avail themselves of bankruptcy protection and things of that nature. So there's a number of federal laws that don't apply to cannabis companies that apply to any other business that you set up and start, but aren't uh, applicable to cannabis. Yeah, no, it's uh, 
There's definitely disadvantages, but of course, some will argue there's also a lot of advantages in the market because it is a such a dynamic and rapidly evolving space. Um, Eric, companies that are you know trying to figure out the uh, the regulatory framework and they're trying to figure out and really, you know, one of the big things is as companies grow, they end up you know on a path towards going public or being acquired, and their accounting becomes and um, so key. Um, companies that are really looking to make sure they've got the right systems in place, structure and the like, you know, they, they need to avail yourselves of services like the ones you offer. How do they contact you? Well, they, we certainly have a very large uh, website that's devoted, not devoted just to cannabis, but our, we have a strong cannabis page and our website. But we could, we could be reached at our, our phone number and, our, and our, it can be reached at my email address. And, and you're right, it, it's so important especially with the issues of 280E, which we talked about, which are tax, uh, tax-driven. It's so important to make sure the books and records are created and maintained in a manner that can allow the tax returns to be prepared and have the costs segregated appropriately in the right buckets so that you can take advantage of deductions that you're entitled to. And, and, and deductions you're not entitled to, you, you won't have, but you need to have the books and records set up to, to properly prepare the information. I think that as companies get involved here, their professionals are very, very important. Uh, whether, it's a, whether the professional team is a banker, an accountant, an attorney, an insurance agent, there are a number of professionals that these companies really need to get in touch with and have as part of their, uh, kind of part of their bench to work with. Oh, absolutely. And I know from, you know, my dealings with companies internationally, it's people always underestimate the number of professionals you need in for, because there are so many different uh, aspects of the business that really don't exist in other industries because of the regulatory issues that need to be addressed. So people looking to learn more about, you know, uh, the practice should go to eisneramper.com and for your email, how do they reach you? My email is E-R-I-C dot A-L-T-S-T-A-D-T-E-R at E-I-S-N-E-R-A-M-P-E-R dot com. My first name dot my last name at Eisner Ramp. Great. Well, thank you, Eric, for joining us today. And thanks to everybody for listening and learning a bit more about some of the regulatory opportunities and challenges with regards to uh, building a cannabis business in the United States today been great chatting and we'll look forward to talking with you again shortly. I'm Richard from the Green Peak. Thanks, Eric. Thanks, Richard. Thanks, Richard. A pleasure. Pleasure talking to you today. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast, republication, or retransmission of this program without proper consent is prohibited.